I don't know. You don't want to do any warm up or anything like that? Do you think we need any warm up? Are we pros yet? Are we? <laughs> Are we pros? I'm going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to Adapted for Your Viewing. My name is David and I watch too many movies. And my name is Amanda and I read too many books. We are brother and sister and this is our podcast for nerds where we talk too much about movies and the books they're based on and tell you which one is worth consuming. Mm -hmm. And today we are talking about Ready Player One and we will be spoiling everything from the 2011 book and the 2018 movie. We're assuming you're familiar, but just in case, here's a quick summary. Ready Player One takes place in a dystopian 2044. Sometimes 45. 2045, 2045. You know, it's <laughs> the future. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was really debating on which, like, if I should even include the year. It's the future was, and it's bad. It was weird that they changed it for the movie, but it was just by one year. I don't know why. But go on. Did they really do that? Yeah, oh, it's 2044 gosh. in the book and 2045 in the movie, and I'm not sure why. You know, let's just start that over. I'm just going to say future. <laughs> I'm just going to say future. You know what? Okay. Well, guys, Ready Player One takes place in a dystopian future where the real world is deteriorating and most of the population spends their entire lives in a VR simulation game called the Oasis. Uh, this is a place where pretty much every pop culture thing can be created and where people want to spend all their time. Uh, after the creator of the Oasis, James Halliday, dies, he creates a contest to find three keys. The winner gets total control of his company and the VR simulation world. We follow 18-year-old Wade Watts on his 80s reference-filled quest mm -hmm. to complete the contest and find Halliday's Easter egg. So, Amanda, yeah. what is your first experience with the book? I was I was vaguely aware of it when it was published. Um, I was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed out of college um, and too broke to read, <laughs> to have time to read books at that time. <laughs> so, unfortunately, I didn't do that much reading. I did hear quite a bit of buzz about it, that it was like – the book for nerds and since i am if not a nerd tandem to most nerds um i okay. heard it was a very fun book and then i heard you know years later that steven spielberg was picking it up and that it was going to be this awesome submersive adventure but i neither read the book nor watched the movie until we decided to do it for this podcast very interesting yeah. what about you yeah I specifically remember reading this book right out of high school. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it kind of hit me at that right time, right after high school. And I think a lot of people forget that for me, the big popularity of this book actually came from uh, in 2012. This is actually a year after the book was published. But what really kind of hooked me is the Oculus Rift, which is the first like good VR they showed it off at uh, E3, which is this gaming conference, and it was the most popular thing about the show. It was like this huge thing, and it was I think it was big because of how mysterious it was. Yeah. Like the creators of this, 
had like this dingy little trailer they were bringing the games media in and basically the entire headset was covered in duct tape (laughs) and held together by Mm -hmm. it and there was so much buzz around it and i think at the time i was really pumped up for it and then i thought of this book and i decided to read it uh and then after that i was i was excited I, i mean i'll give my impressions about it later but i was very excited when I heard that Spielberg was the director for this movie because the movie rights got taken up pretty early. Yeah, like immediately when it was published. Uh-huh. Yeah, there was like a bidding war for its publication and then it immediately got picked up for a movie after that, which I thought was interesting. Uh, you know what's funny about you mentoring, mentioning like Oculus VR? Um, they The author, Klein, ha- said that Oculus was influenced heavily by his book and that new employees who worked at that time at that company had to read the book in order to like be inspired to design their games and stuff. That's very, I mean, I could totally see that because pretty much what I pictured when reading this book was an Oculus headset for the most part. Yeah. Uh, you want to hear some more book facts since we... Yeah, hit me bit? up with them book facts. Yeah, so it's a debut novel for Ernest Cline. Um, the audiobook, I thought this was fun, was narrated by Will Wheaton, uh, who appears <laughs> as a character in the book. He's the vice president of the Oasis. Like, real life, our w- Will Wheaton is the vice president of the Oasis. He doesn't do much, but I thought that was really fun. Um, you think Will Wheaton, like... <laughs> you think he found out when he, like, read the book... Like he was just like, oh, I guess I'm pres, I guess I'm vice president, I'm, president, whatever you said. I'm, I'm thinking that it was probably an add-in after the fact because the audiobook was released the same day as the book was released, uh, which doesn't oh. always happen. So I'm pretty sure Will Wheaton was very aware of of this book before it was published, and I think that was kind of added as like a fun thing, fun nod to an, video an, game culture, an Easter egg, an, one would say, something like an Easter egg. Yes, <laughs> there's a, there's very few in this story. Maybe we'll discover more. <laughs> I don't know. Um. Yeah. So my book facts are kind of ridiculous because of the premise of this book has been carried over into real life. So not only is there an Oasis beta VR video game available for free that you can still download today, um, there was also a contest that's very similar to the contest from the book that was hosted by Klein to give away a DeLorean to somebody. And so Mm. within the jacket of the book, you can find a URL that took you to a game that you had to beat, and then it took you to Facebook, and you had to beat a game on Facebook. And then <laughs> everyone's favorite everyone's gaming fa- platform. Favorite place. <laughs> um, and then the third one, the third challenge was you had to get a world record in one classic video game, and there was like a list of them. So a couple of days, like a week after the third challenge was issued, uh, some guy from like Ohio named Craig Queen set the world record for joust and won a DeLorean. Um, And I thought this was so hilarious because I 
didn't I had heard nothing about this. What? And when this is the first time I'm hearing just wait, let me grab my book. Let me grab my hard copy of the <laughs> See book. See if you can book. find the URL. I've yeah. I don't know if they're still getting printed with it. Um, I just thought it was hilarious because I'd heard nothing about this. And then when I researched it and I found this amazing fact, I looked up more about this game and there was only like a couple of hundred people competing. What? And every, everybody on Reddit was complaining because it was such like a specific thing you had to do to win. And then when you won, you just win a DeLorean. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was just so funny and such an such a good conduit for like our discussion today about this ridiculous book. Um, so that Update. happened. I see. I see no link. I want yeah. to win my DeLorean. Where uh, it's too late. It's already done, and <sighs> you'd have to set a world record for a very old video game if you even wanted to get a chance. Gosh, that that plays so much into some things I want to talk about later. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Klein is currently working on a sequel for Ready Player One. He did publish his sophomore book, which is not connected to Ready Player One, called Armada in 2015. And it has already been picked up by Universal, and the script is being worked on right now to turn into a movie, despite the fact the book got mostly negative reviews. Yeah. I specifically remember going to like Barnes and Noble when that was released, seeing that book and thinking, do I want this? And then like a normal human being, I looked it up on Amazon to see if I could get it cheaper, where I then saw terrible reviews yeah. and I passed on it. So that's very interesting. Now I want to read the synopsis of that book and see how the heck that could be. It is, it is also about the best video game player on earth. So, of course. <laughs> um, why don't you hit us up with some movie facts? Yeah, so a couple movie facts. So, one stars of the movie we have Ty Sheridan as Wade Watts, Olivia Cook as Samantha or Artemis, Ben Middleson as Sorrento, the villain. Mendelson. Mendelson. Well, you know, we just got to continue this theme of not saying anyone's name correctly. <laughs> I thought I had this one in the bag. No one's name is weird, but no, nope. you miss Ben. Sorry, <sighs> Sorry Ben. Uh, and then Mark Rylance. Did I say that right? Rylance? Mm-hmm. I had to have. Yeah. Uh, Rylance. Yeah. Yeah. As James Halliday. Uh, so like you said, the Rights to this movie were quickly sold before this book was ever published, which is I just want to say I want to hear like the story of Ernest Klein. I think I'm going to look this up later because he somehow got a bidding war from publishers and sold his first screenplay before the book even came out. He's Yeah, he's an interesting dude. I started going down the Wikipedia rabbit hole reading about him. He also wrote a screenplay about and a movie was was made from it about nerds who break into like lucasfilm to steal phantom menace script before it was made and that was made into something i didn't fall too much further down the wikipedia rabbit hole because i wanted to actually focus on what we were talking about but he's an interesting dude he is a nerd amongst nerds i feel like he really is and i'm gonna be honest what you just said to me sounds so interesting. <laughs> right? Yeah. It does sound super interesting. I, I would absolutely watch that movie if it was like an Edgar Wright comedy. Oh, yeah. I'm sold on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but for the movie, obviously, most of this plot had to be completely changed because it features heavy copyrighted materials that he could get away with in the book, but could not get away with. A lot of actionless scenes. (laughs) A lot of actionless scenes. There's a lot of challenges that feature... Someone playing it's, a video game, which yeah, isn't lot, really that much fun to watch in real life. Reading about what it would be like watching somebody else play a video game. Yes. So they had to drastically change the plot. One thing that they really tried to grab but had a hard time with was Blade Runner because it mm-hmm. features is featured heavily in the second challenge. But unfortunately, Blade Runner 2049 was being produced. So they were not given any rights to Blade Runner. And that is how we got the shining scene for the second challenge, because Spielberg had to think of something else to replace it. Uh, Steven Spielberg has said this movie is the hardest movie he has created since Saving Private Ryan, mostly due to him going to ILM uh, for all the special effects. They would take hours and hours working on and it shows. Yeah. It's also like the movie is a good like, you know, 20% in the real world, 80% not. So it's a lot of special effects. Absolutely. Now, I think the most interesting fact, because let me tell you, you should go to the INDB page for trivia for this movie Mm -hmm. because it is so I've never seen a page so long for this ever because it's mostly just pointing out like little Easter eggs because INDB, it's. It's sort of like Reddit where anyone could submit a piece of trivia and then people say whether or not it was helpful. Yeah. And a lot of these are just like, this person uses this gun in this scene and it's from this video game. So it is it is filled with so many pieces of trivia. Uh, but one interesting tidbit is that there was a rumor that Steven Spielberg was trying to grab Gene Wilder to play James Halliday. Which would have been amazing. Which would have been amazing. Yeah. He unfortunately could not because uh, he has dementia mm-hmm. and it was progressing quite a bit. Yeah. So he couldn't really take part of the movie. But I got to say, that would have been perfect. Well, they used, perfect the, they used the Willy Wonka theme in the trailer for this movie. Yes. Which I thought yeah. was a really cool connection. And if you look at uh, the back of the book or any like uh, like snippet quotes for the movie, there's like a couple that are like, it's Willy Wonka, Willy Wonka meets the Matrix. There's about a thousand people. Which is that. Okay, that quote is not as bad as the one that's across the front of my book, which is Harry Potter for adults, which gave me absolutely <laughs> the wrong expectations for this book. <laughs> I got to say that I was finishing up the last of this book and my girlfriend was sitting next to me on the couch and she saw that quote and she's like that's a lie isn't it (laughs) i'm like yeah it's a lie i was watching this movie and my husband was not watching it with me but he was in the same room playing video games so this movie should have been right up his alley he was getting angry just listening to this movie (laughs) playing in the background so there's a little preview for how we felt. about this movie. <laughs> I will say that I remember my theater experience because I did see yeah. this in theaters and I also saw it in the Dolby like Atmos theater that's yeah. near me, which I consider to be the best place to see any movie ever. And 
the first time I saw this movie, it was a very special experience. It was like a great place to see it. Right. Okay. Okay. So let's put a pin in that. I didn't want to jump ahead too much and talk about the movie. Let's first talk about the story. So what did you think about this story? I know that you had, you had read it when it, when it came out in 2011, right? And now it's, you know, eight years later, a lot of things have happened on the internet since then. Mm -hmm. A lot of things have been discussed about fandom since then. How is your second experience going through uh, this story. Yeah, I think back in 2011, nerd, nerd culture and pop culture were still pretty separate. Mm-hmm. You know, they were starting to collide. But this book was kind of like the beginning of some of it. And so I think it's novelty back then. Uh, yeah. What is what carried a lot of the book, especially 80s culture. It, it was coming back during this time. But I remember when the movie came out and I was like thinking about this book plot because I could not remember. (laughs) I remember the main thing, but I could not remember like what actually happened in this book, except for one thing. And that was I hated the romance Mm -hmm. in this book. Mm -hmm. And I forgot like in the movie, I I remember I disliked it, but I forgot just how much I hated it in the book. I think uh, a part of the reason why I hate the romance is because it is built around obsession rather than any relationship and has this like like woman as a prize at the end of the book. Yep. And it irked I remember back then it irked me. It irked me even more this time around. Yeah. Uh you know there's a, there's a lot to say about the culture in this book, but I just remember that being my feeling back then. And it just being reiterated. Well, yeah, there's the second time going through this. There's three women in this book, right? There's Artemis um, and a.k.a. Samantha, who is a rival uh, for Wade with his screen name Parzival during the egg hunt. And she um, beats him to the first egg in the book. Um, She beats him to the or not egg, the first gate in the book. She gets the second one before him also in the book. Um, And so she is set up to be, I mean, she is set up to be a love interest, right? Wade is like instantly smitten with her blog. And so he loves her. Um, They spend quite a bit of time together in the book. They like online date basically for a couple of weeks in the movie. It's instantaneous, which is a little bit, it makes it even more cringy. Um, but basically, she has this great speech in the beginning of the movie where uh, right after he confesses he loves her, reveals his real name to her. Um, and she's like, you don't even know me. You don't know what I look like. You only see the things I want you to see. And it's almost like the book slash movie is trying to make a point. And then yeah. it forgets about it like halfway through. And really, it's not because she's keeping – she, you know, she's – she's looking for a genuine connection is because she's insecure about how she looks. Yes. And Wade is the great dude who can overlook the <laughs> birthmark on her face in order to still like her. It's, it's not good. No. <laughs> so we have, yeah, we have Artemis who starts off as an interesting character and withers away into nothingness. We have um, H who is Wade's best friend, who turns out to be a queer black woman in the book. They forget that she's a lesbian in the movie or forgets to mention it, maybe. They make, they make <laughs> allusions to it, Do but they? it's weird that they 
they don't outright say it. Yes, yeah. in like the shining scene, it it sort of alludes to it. I get but the entire it never says it outright, and yeah. it, it, it did bother me. She pretends to be a white male, um, and in the book, Wade is like, "That's fine. Nothing about you has changed." But like, it is a different part of her identity, so it shouldn't be like, "I love you anyway." It should be, "I love you as a queer black woman," right? That would be yes. the good virtuous way of like a good virtuous main character however Wade is not that so we don't really get that <laughs> from Wade, no. unfortunately so he isn't nearly as complex yeah as we're making it. so our our second female character pretends to be a dude the whole time our third female character is Kira who Halliday is in love with went on a single date with and then she marries his best friend and he is still upset about it until the day he dies mm-hmm and that's not great either. <laughs> no, and and just like it's Artemis, not- Kira is sort of shown as this prize yes. for Halliday. Well, and it's not like- it's not great, not because that situation is not great, because obviously the situation is icky, but it's not great because the book or movie doesn't call anybody out on it not being great. Mm-hmm. It's just allowed to be. And it's allowed to still be like Halliday is treated like a god, basically. And Wade is treated like the second coming of God. And so neither of their actions are really critiqued at all, mm-hmm. which makes this book feel not very good. <laughs> <laughs> So it gets a zero on the representation of yeah. women's I mean, scale. <laughs> and that's what, you know, a lot of people have already talked about this. I think I think that's symptomatic of like this book in general, this story in general. Because yes. I think this this story wants to have a lot of ideas. So like I was writing down I kept on coming back to I don't really know what this story is about. You know, the story on the surface level is about this really fun video game and finding this Easter egg and the little guy versus the big guy and the nerd coming out on top. And that's always great. Um, but I didn't really know what its ideas were. Like I wrote down at the beginning of the movie. Um, and I think in the beginning of the book, it's, it's stated too. uh, this quote after people that, that, the events of this story are happening after people stopped trying to fix problems and started trying to outlive them. And it stated kind of like a thesis, like this is what it's going to be about, but it doesn't do anything with that. Like it never, we never talk about the real world or how this video game is basically distracting people from solving problems in their real life. You know, that's never treated as like a bad thing because Wade still wins at the end. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't care about the real world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to the book's representation of nerd culture yeah. is one of rewarding toxic obsession. Yeah. And especially, you know, something hit me in the beginning of the book where they're in a chat room and they have a character who in the movie is completely changed and is played by TJ Miller and does not age well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But pretty much they're like uh, trying to out nerd this character yeah. and giving all these facts of what they know and he's dumb and they keep calling him a poser. And it sort of comes back to this 
toxic idea of nerd culture that in if you're not a true fan unless you're obsessed. Yeah. You know, you're not a true fan unless it is all of your identity. Yeah. That there is no such thing as casual enjoyment. And that comes through in everything in this book. And it, it keeps wanting to touch on it. And that's what yes. kills me. Yeah. Is it because I felt like the thing the the theme of this book was trying to say, you know, it's a it's about the relationships you make along the way. Mm-hmm. And then what's real is like all those sort of things. But it's never like the the obsession is never criticized. Right. And that's what irks me is because that's what causes so much internet toxicity around nerd culture. Well, nowadays. I think there's like there's a slight criticism of sometimes of Halliday, right? Because he dies yes. having regretted so many things and not really interacted with the real world. But at the same time, the the person of Halliday is it's hinted that he's like on the autism spectrum. Yeah. It's almost like it isn't his fault necessarily. But like for Wade, he is, is just as obsessed and dismissive of people and unempathetic, and he doesn't really have this excuse of being on any kind of spectrum. He just is your everyday person, yeah. and he, again, doesn't get criticized for any of those things, and he gets to win in the end. You know what I mean? I didn't like that this character was rewarded. Yeah. Uh, like, the last... Uh, like 20 minutes, not even actually. I forget how like <laughs> abrupt his ending is. It's incredibly is. abrupt, Like yeah. five minutes of the movie and like 20 pages of the book mm-hmm. when they're wrapping things up irked me so much because it just felt like nothing was actually resolved yes. in the themes at at all. Yeah. At least the, the movie, I give a little bit more of a pass uh, because it didn't, try to do as many things as the book it tried to do one thing and i you know i think it did that okay but with the book it just kept introducing different themes and never felt like coming to an end on any of them. yeah so some of the other ideas that i wrote down the themes if you will um you know devotion to pop culture fandom can be akin to a religion a lot of the worship and study of Halliday is treated like a religion. Um, Halliday in the movie is treated like a God basically. Um, and is depicted a lot of times like a God. Um, Wade prints out like his journal and underlines and studies it like the Bible. And he calls it his Bible. A lot of times he quotes it throughout the book, like verses from a Bible. Um, so I think that's very interesting. Again, like, they don't do anything with it. It just is. No. Um, another one was like to truly love a thing, you have to know it in its entirety. And I think the book tries to play with this with Artemis that like Wade loves her, but doesn't get her because he doesn't know her entirely. He hasn't seen everything about her. And then once he does, he does win her in the end. Again, that's it's like really, really weak <laughs> and yeah. borderline toxic. Um, you know, I think a lot of things have changed. What used to be like a fun thing to be obsessed with something in 2011 is not quite as harmless as it is seen today. Um, because of different things that have happened on the internet since then. Um, I think another thing the the story tries to talk about is um, 
the fact that technology has become so ingrained with who we are that sometimes virtual connection is just as important as a real life connection. Um, and I think they tried to do that with Halliday where like the only way that he could connect with people was in a virtual mm-hmm. way and that there was some sort of sentiment behind that. But the problem is that like, you know, the, the book has all these ideas and it doesn't care about them at all. Oh. And I think that's really just because Klein isn't interested in exploring any of the, these ideas. He really just wants to have like this fantasy experience to me, this book to me is, is to nerd boys. What twilight was to dark romance. (laughs) And okay. It's just, it's just wish fulfillment. Like I can't see, there's nothing else there. Yeah. It's just a fantasy. And so for me, it's, it's pretty easy to pick this apart. There's a lot of really dumb things throughout it. Um, I don't think it's a good story about video games i don't think it's a good story about the virtual world i don't even think it's a good story about um like a coming of age (laughs) i think it misses on all of those um but i don't think it was ever meant to be that i think it was always meant to be this experience this wish fulfillment experience of a nerd boy you know and i'm not a nerd boy so for me it doesn't do anything for me to be fair, I was a nerd boy and I still think <laughs> I, I would agree with you on every single point is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I will say that the one thing uh, that I do enjoy about mm-hmm. the book is I do like the world yeah. itself. Yeah. He spends a lot of time world building, world building in a bad way, I would say. Oh my gosh, the, the first, first hundred pages of this book. Uh, <laughs> It is a bit of a slog because he doesn't pepper in any world building or he peppers in world building everywhere and just sort of tells us things that really have nothing to do or add to the story. And so I think he created this uh, like universe that he was just so excited about. uh, They wanted to tell everyone about like anyone who's written or created their own world in their head and they've just spent, you know, months fantasizing about what it would look like kind of understands that, you know, if, yeah. if you try to write your own little story. But the problem is, is the audience doesn't really care about some of these well, things. And none of them added to the plot. Yeah, I think it's hard because I think, like, to me, the best nerd story, the best example of a nerd story and nerd movie is Scott Pilgrim. Like, I think that is such a good embodiment of a video game story that yeah. tells a story um, because it uses elements. It doesn't point at them. It doesn't explain them to you. Like the, the book was hard because it was like this eighties movie, like this character is wearing these shoes from this movie, but I don't know that movie. So I don't know what those shoes I don't know what those shoes look like in my brain. Also, it never comes up again and they don't matter. <laughs> yes. So not only am I not getting the description, I'm not getting like the heart of the meaning behind it either. Like both those are lacking. So it's a very difficult book to read. It's different in the movie um, because it, it gets to be visual. Mm-hmm. Um but then we run into the issue of there's still no substance behind it. So it's just like things on a screen. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'll say that my my like was the actual Oasis yeah. universe. Although I will go on the record by saying I think in the real world, this game would suck. Oh, my God. It would be so boring. <laughs> 
first of all, have you ever heard of this a video game called Eve? Mm-mm. Eve is a online uh, sci-fi video game that's a lot like this, yeah. where if you die, you lose everything. And people spend hundreds and hundreds of hours creating their ships and uh, doing things very similar to what's in this book. And it's a very popular game that's been around for decades. But a lot of people hate the game because you just die, you lose everything. And I can't see that ever taking off in the real world. And it bothered me a lot because I was like, no one would ever want to pay to travel. If you couldn't do that, that'd be lame. Yes. The pay to travel thing, uh, the pay to travel element where it was like, it's going to take three hours, three in-game hours to get to this place. Or you could pay to jump through this portal. And I was like, that sucks. Nobody's going to want to do that. No one likes that. The reason why people play video games is when it comes down to is like the reward cycle that a video game gives well and it's not like we haven't played video games where we're running in a field for like 20 minutes to get to a place that totally happens to me there's like a tipping point where if you are standing on a ship waiting to be transported from one place to another and doing nothing for over an hour that is not worth it that's not fun at all yeah that part and then the fact that there's not like a treasure chest you can hide your gold in when you go adventuring is just a wild concept (laughs) it's just wild now that's saying uh because uh, I think this con- we were trying to say what we liked about yes, the story. Yes, what we liked about the story. Uh, okay, what I liked about the story, I did enjoy the world, despite it being a video game I think no one would actually enjoy. I did like the idea of this entire virtual world, and I can now see why the Oculus Rift staff would make everyone read it, because okay. it's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, and it's very interesting how it like impacts the culture. I like how like the economy is mm-hmm. now based around this virtual world. Schools are in it. It's it's a very interesting world that Klein created. Yeah. Uh, my favorite part of the book is actually a plot point uh, that happens right before the uh, climax. So in mm-hmm. the book, there's a key that you find through a clue and then a gate that you walk through and you have to defeat, first of all, a video game. The second one is another key that you find hidden in like his recreation of his house and then you go through a gate again and the third one um is everybody finds out where it is and ioi who's the um the bad guys the big bad guys put a huge force field around it and in the movie there's kind of like this convoluted thing that they accidentally are able to like get it down because artemis is like behind the scenes in the book there's actually this kind of great like mission impossible style heist that happens where wade gets himself um arrested by debt collectors through IOI and they use like virtual slave labor essentially to help you pay off your debt. And he breaks into that and then he breaks past their firewall in order to like put in a a virus basically and steal a bunch of information and then escapes again. And that entire sequence, I actually really liked like up until that point in the book, there is zero tension. There's like, there's an Uh obstacle that Wade faces and he's like, Oh, good. I just spent 300 hours studying this exact thing last week. <laughs> I like literally no buildup in order to get to a payoff at any point in the book. However, in this part of the book, um, you feel some tension. There's obviously yeah. stakes. There's there's a 
it should be, you know, if Wade was an average person, he's slightly smarter than the average person. Um, so he's able to get out, but there's quite a bit of tension throughout the entire sequence. So that part I actually really liked. If more of the book was like, and I realized it was like the one sequence, the one action sequence that wasn't actually in the Oasis. So maybe I just mm-hmm. didn't like the stuff <laughs> happening in the Oasis because it didn't yeah. have enough stakes. Like to me, yes, you could lose all your money, but Wade like has nothing already and is like getting yeah. by. Um, but once he like puts his real body at risk, that's when I started getting worried. So yeah, yeah there's like a magical 75 page stint where i was really enjoying it there were like little parts that i didn't like i call it like the dark wade section <laughs> yes where like when he gets moody he just kind of and he himself. gets like really yeah. moody, and i kind of really enjoyed it he became a little bit more interesting seeing him turn into this reclusive introvert uh it showed some of the consequences of obsession like mm-hmm. that's when it was like trying to hit on something and then it kind of fell apart yeah because he still was able to progress in what he was doing but I thought like that sequence, like with him, the Mission Impossible sequence in this like part of the book where he's losing himself to obsession. Yeah, I did enjoy. Yeah, I just now the one thing I'm going to push back on yeah. you though. The one thing I'm going to push back on you though is uh, how you mentioned the plot point, how he basically plants uh, like a virus or like a piece of code yeah, to yeah, ruin he, this. Yeah, like, he programs a little robot to like walk up to this mountaintop and explodes making a wizard drop an orb that causes the shield to go down. Yeah. As you uh, do in war. One of my biggest problems with some of the plot in the book and how they resolve things is what I called past Wade ex machina. Yes. Where first of all, the perspective on this book is a little confusing sometimes because sometimes it sounds like Wade is telling this story to someone from the from the future like explaining them what's happening and then sometimes yeah. it feels like he's in the present and that perspective i hated it there's like parts of the book where i'm like wait are you do you know yeah. what's happening yeah did this already it was weird but there's plenty of times where it's like i needed to solve something don't worry past me has this covered and i just didn't tell you and it was i don't know i didn't like that sequence for that reason okay and that's totally fair because usually that i super hate that too like where essentially what they're doing is pulling the wool over on the audience's eyes because there's no way for them to know to like solve the puzzle until sherlock holmes tells you how to solve it right and like there's a reason why usually the person who like is the genius coming up with the ideas is not the narrator of those stories is because Mm -hmm. it's so insufferable. So I totally, totally understand that. That is how much I dislike the rest of this book that I, (laughs) (laughs) that despite that, that was the most enjoyable part for me. Yeah. I did roll my eyes as soon as he was explaining to his friends and his friends were like, Oh my gosh, you're the coolest Wade. And I was like, Oh God. Okay. (laughs) We get it. (laughs) We get it. At least, at least be humble about it, Wade. But no. No, he was. Yeah. Wade's. If you couldn't tell, I don't think we liked the main character. <laughs> he He's not enjoyable. Not great. Not great. Uh, let's talk about the movie, though, because I'm yeah. going to be honest. I think maybe because I didn't remember much about the book yeah. and then I saw the movie and I maybe it's because I have a soft spot for Spielberg. But I'm overall kind of positive on it. I don't I, think it's like, yeah. I want to preface this. I don't think it's the best thing ever. Totally. But 
I am much more positive on this movie. I walked into this movie moments after finishing this book and hating this book so much. So I fully expected to bring all that animosity into my viewing experience. (laughs) And there were moments that made me cringe as expected. However, like the, like I didn't like I expected the virtual stuff. Usually I don't like that in, in movies. Usually I like, like anything that feels more real to me. I enjoy a little bit better. I did not mind. I thought the effects were really great. Um, even the stuff that they changed visually, I thought was really smart. Uh, everything that you could feel like Spielberg's hand on, like all of his visual storytelling, I thought was very, very good. So to me, I am mostly positive about this movie too. I don't know if I'll ever watch it again, but I I wouldn't no. dissuade somebody who I wouldn't argue with somebody who likes this movie and try to get them not to like it. You know what I mean? I think the difference between for me the the book and the movie is that the book couldn't decide on what it wanted to mm-hmm. be, while the movie very clearly knew its identity. Yeah. It wanted to be a '80s adventure yep. movie. And that's what yep. it was. It never delved too much into his themes, but honestly, didn't really care. Wade in this movie was kind of like he's much more of a jerk in the book. In this movie, he was just kind of seen as like a naive dork. Yes. Yeah, it's a little bit more. And that's why his character him. didn't bother me. Uh, yeah, he was OK. He was just a little like mashed potatoes. Like he's a little bit boring. So let's talk a little bit about the sequences and the changes that they made for the challenges. love that racing scene that they put in for the... Mm -hmm. It was very, very good. So one thing that Spielberg does is he, on average, his takes are a little bit longer. And he he definitely takes advantage of that. And it's even more impressive when you realize that most of this is virtual Mm -hmm. that he's doing. And... The fact that he's able to get some of these long, unbroken takes Mm -hmm. in a virtual world with camera movements you couldn't get in real life, that race scene was so much better than the first challenge of the book. If it was honestly like uh, they change two out of the three challenges from the book. Um, The only thing I didn't like in the movie was the last challenge, the one that stayed the same. (laughs) So the race scene was excellent. There's this great mechanic where Wade, because he's broke, um, goes to the back of the race. And that's kind of how he figures out how to solve the puzzle eventually. But he goes to the back of the race because he picks up other players' coins as he drives in order to fuel his car to keep going. And that is very, very good. Like that entire sequence was great. Um, I loved Donkey Kong, no, King Kong destroying. King I thought Kong. that was really <laughs> It would be great Donkey if it was Donkey Kong, Kong it though. Really good if it, was, it would have been more fitting if it was Donkey Kong. It would have been more um, fitting. I did like that it was um, King I Kong. I liked King Kong. I liked uh, the T-Rex showing up. I thought that was really great. Um, no, it was just a very fun, it felt like a race that I would want, it felt like a game I would want to play. Which is Yeah, different. and that was the thing, is... In the book, I never wanted to play this game. <laughs> I wanted to do this race. I definitely want. This race seemed yeah. awesome. And uh, I will say that I have a specific memory of seeing this in that Dolby Atmos theater with the sound. Yeah, I bet that would be good. Oh, it was, it, it was incredible because the soundtrack pulls back during this mm-hmm. sequence. And you just kind of get the, it is so well, good. And it was such a satisfying yeah. scene. Yeah, and he solves it by... Going backwards on the track, 
and going into like this hidey hole that's I feel like is insane that nobody else has tried because I feel like once like Mario Kart came out like for the Wii that was like the first thing (laughs) I did was try to like find extra things on the track. Well, I think that the reason why I like the way this puzzle was solved was that it felt video gamey. It did feel video gamey, yes. It felt very true to like how people play games. They experiment, they go backwards, they do weird things that don't make sense. Yes, and the part where, um, because essentially he goes backwards, um, the the floor drops down, he drives down onto a track that's underneath the actual track and it's held up by like virtual green lines, but you can essentially see everybody else racing above. And that is very fun. That entire part was very fun. And like you said, very true to video games. And so it gave, it was such a great sequence. It was such an easy like solve, but it gave like a very cool perspective on solving that puzzle. And it was very Mm -hmm. rewarding. I agree. Now, even though you love that race sequence, Mm -hmm. I, I remember freaking out when I saw the movie, seeing the recreation of the Shining challenge. Yeah, yeah. Because a little background, ILM, the company who did that, spent like months and months recreating this in a program that essentially let them recreate the set and shoot it from whatever perspective they wanted it to be. And it and shows it is, because it's so it is, good. Yeah, it is without it. It is flawless. It looks exactly mm-hmm. like the movie. It gives you like really good creepy vibes the minute you step in there. Um, I had never watched The Shining. Have you watched The Shining? You don't like, yes, you don't like creepy movies. I don't like creepy movies. <laughs> I don't. There's something about Jack Nicholson because he was the Joker in one of the first movies that I've ever watched as a child. <laughs> he, on a base level, creeps me out. And so a creepy movie with Jack Nicholson is just over the top for me. So I've never watched oh, I'm the gonna, Oh, it's going to be on our list. I'm pretty it's, sure. It's up there. As soon as I started reading about it, I was like, oh, no, Dave is going <laughs> to make me read this book. I want you to watch every single creepy Stephen King <laughs> <laughs> but I did out there. But I did um, you know, read a couple of things about the movie just because it seemed so interesting because of this movie. And <laughs> as long as they were getting creeped out by it, I loved it. The minute the zombies showed up, I stopped loving it. <laughs> it's just the visual effects of it because I think the recreation of the hotel was so great. Like one thing I loved was uh, the introduction into film grain mm-hmm. on the actual uh, like special effects that That's they added great. that just added that like extra level of texture for me to be like, this is it. Well, that and then they walk in and there's a pile of papers and it's a. Uh, you know, the typing um, and they're flying away one by one and it's a timer. And I just thought that was so clever. Yeah. Um, They're like, oh, we have this many minutes to solve it before it resets. And I thought that was fantastic. And then (laughs) everything after that was like, (laughs) it is a sequence though that I want to play. I would totally want to play. Yeah. So the race and the shining amazing. I, despite hating her character, really liked Olivia cook. I thought she did a really good job. Mm-hmm. I thought she was there a hundred percent. Um, but the person who stole the show for me, who was there for maybe four minutes of the entire movie is Simon Pegg. He was so, 
He was so good. There's this he's very warm. Oh my god, he's so, so warm. warm. In a movie where nobody is warm, everybody yeah. is he has so much too heart. cool for school, dude. Everybody, and then here's Simon Pegg with like the hugest heart in the world. There's, I mean, there's scene, flashback scenes where he's talking to Halliday, which are great. But the the one part that got me in this movie was when uh, Simon Pegg shows up at the end. You know, they've won everything. Everybody's clapping for Wade um, and chanting his name. Uh, And Simon Pegg comes up with the lawyers and he's like, you have to sign these to like take over the company. These guys work for you. And Wade is like, I want to share my winnings with the rest of the high five. That's their team. Yeah. Um, And Simon Pegg has this look on his face where he gets emotional because he said that. And he's like, you you're making the right choice. And I was like, Oh, Simon Pegg, <laughs> where are you bringing these emotions from? <laughs> he is so, I think I have a theory that all comedy actors are the best at bringing out warmth. Oh my God. It's all about timing. Yeah. Yes. And he does such a great job at it. Again, the one thing I'm going to push back on that though, movies need to stop making Simon Pegg do an American accent. Agreed. His British accent's Ooh, great. If he would have just been British, no one would have batted an totally. eye. To be fair, his American accent is in, it's not like, it's not bad. It's not Benedict Cumberbatch bad. Thank goodness. <laughs> but it's this not good. So bad. <laughs> it's, it was, it was enough to where I noticed it and I don't think anybody ever wants that. So. I think he's big enough that when people see him, they expect something. And just give give people what they expect. Right. Anyway. He, he ends up being the curator at the end, which is a character they add. And he gets to do his funny curator voice. That's enough. That's all you need. You got curator yeah. voice and you have Simon Pegg voice. That's all you really need. Yeah. Oh, I loved him. Uh, this movie was about Simon Pegg. I would have been so happy. <laughs> so one other qu- like tiny little movie fact. There was a lot of directors that were up for the job. Edgar Wright oh. was uh, was on the list. I really wanted. I mean, here's the thing. Anyone who knows me, I'm the biggest Edgar Wright fan. I want him to direct literally anything I because I think he makes everything he better. Edgar had a lot of fun with this movie. He would have had so much fun. Yeah. Uh, anything else that you enjoyed about the movie? No. <laughs> I will say <laughs> that's the. <laughs> the one thing I actually did enjoy, and this kind of brings to like a greater change the movie made as uh, from the book. I really like Sorrento's cartoony villain. <laughs> he is like so he's just like bad and irredeemable in every way. I mean, and he's just cartoony bad. Ben Mendelsohn so, does such a good job. He does such a great job. Um, I had some nitpicks about him like he was he was one of the characters that i wanted to nitpick and it kept me from enjoying it i did like that everybody had first of all i definitely think the array of avatars should have been much different than like different versions of color colorful white people but um ben mendelson being just like this cookie cutter like face like this like um Alec Baldwin, basically. <laughs> I thought it was kind of funny. It was hilarious. Yeah. I wish they made him look better, but it's almost funnier that they didn't. So it's it, it was funny. Mm-hmm. Now, I think that change brings me into one of the biggest changes the movie made mm-hmm. from the book, and that is it 
is so much more cartoony and fun and clean, whereas the book is such a dirty, disgusting <laughs> universe. Like when Wade Watts is describing the apartment he's living in and the conditions that he's like mm-hmm. having to endure. Like at one point he says he washes himself with shampoo and soap that takes away all of his hair. Yes. So he has no eyebrows. Yeah. He has no I was really hoping they were gonna put that in the movie. I knew they were but it would be amazing if it was just like this egg baby <laughs> that they have on their screen. <laughs> You know that scene from The Matrix when Keanu comes out of his pod yeah, and he's gross. covered in slime? Yeah, totally. That is what I imagine. That's what it should have been. <laughs> like, right, because it, it, it would mess with the tone. And it messes with the tone a little bit in the movie, in the book, because the book wants to be this fantasy and it's stuck in this not fantasy, but it doesn't know if it wants to be edgy about it or if it wants to be fun about it. And I think that's why mm-hmm. it gets kind of muddled all over the place. But you're right. It is the world. Uh, they definitely make the world a little cleaner. The sequence in the beginning of the movie where Wade is climbing down from his tower of trailer parks, he sees people playing in the Oasis and they have like half of their a room that's like the size of half their trailer park. <laughs> <laughs> in order to do it, I'm like, oh, these people are fine. <laughs> it didn't look that bad. <laughs> it's not ideal, but it didn't really look that bad. No, it didn't. And one, actually, one thing that really bothered me, who the heck would play VR with their windows open? Yeah. But if I was that, I'd be so it's self-conscious. Like the, yes. I mean, maybe that's the point, but I highly doubt the movie was trying to make a point. I think they were just trying to do a funny sequence. It's just very funny. Yeah. Anyway, uh, any other uh, surprising changes? No, I don't think or so. Changes liked, you wanted to mention? No, I liked I liked the major changes they made. Um, yeah. I think the movie I think the movie was incrementally better than the book, uh, a little bit more focused on the book. Um but not revolutionarily better. Yeah, I think it had all like it was the movie was an 80s action movie yeah. and it had all the yeah. pros of that and it had all the pitfalls of that. Yes. And I think I overall enjoyed it a little bit more just based on the fact that I love Steven Spielberg and he definitely put some magic into this. Yeah. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. It made me wildly angry. Well, that's saying, how about this? Let me let me ask you a new question. Is there any, because this movie is just filled with references on references mm-hmm. and references. Is there anything that you saw in the movie that you were like, huh, that's actually kind of cool? Like any reference I saw that was kind of cool? Yeah, any small reference, tip of the hat. No. So, but that's not because I am positive that I do think like the, okay, that's not true. I think the timer with the key um, papers, I thought that was very cute. Like, I thought that was a very clever way to make a reference, but also use it as a video game reference. That was probably the only one. And that's not to say that, like, I think these filmmakers are very smart. Um, I'm sure they put in Easter eggs that I did not notice. I think the problem was that they had Easter eggs, and I'm using air quotes with that, very generous air quotes, um, that they shoved in my face. And I was so distracted and annoyed by that, that I probably missed things that were cool. (laughs) Yes, there was only one for me, because a lot of times, like, I agree with you, it just felt like 
a little shoving in the face. But I will admit that when I was first watching this movie and at the start, H is like uh, like doing battle in Mount Doom, Mm -hmm. which is like this player versus player zone where people can die. Uh, And he is shooting with the battle rifle. Either the assault rifle, battle rifle. Okay, I guess I'm I'm not as smart as I thought I was because I can't remember it. <laughs> you are not a true uh, But from Halo, yeah, yeah. He's he's using. I'm pretty sure it's the assault rifle from Halo. And there was just like a part of me that just like went back to when yeah. I spent literally all my time playing that game, and I was like, I like that. And it was it was it just hit yeah. it, and it was like now I see why people love this type of story is just because they like feeling those tiny little yes. feelings of I remember I that. totally get that I get that little touch of like endorphins where you're like oh this is for me um I I think you know it was to a point where it was like too much of a good thing where like it's too sweet that it yeah. turns gross in your mouth you know what I mean yeah I will say again I think the movie handled it way better than the book just because it's visual mm-hmm. and it's a it, it can hide things and be a little bit more yeah, subtle with it. Totally. Whereas the book just kind of list is like, now I'm wearing this. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm wearing this. <laughs> yeah. uh, OK, so what changes would you make to this story to make it better? I think my changes are different for each because I think with the movie, I think it needs to just be like small changes yeah. to Wade's character and honestly, I just want them to cut the romance out. Mm-hmm. Like one That's thing that I enjoyed happened. is this. I know <laughs> is this. I wish they would. Is this sort of online uh, uh, friendships that totally. Form. Yeah. And I love the idea that, you know, it's it's I think gaming especially gets all these scapegoats in the media for a billion different mm-hmm. things. But I love the idea that the movie could celebrate the thing about online gaming culture that is good. Mm-hmm which is like this community of supportive people that all like the same thing. And I wish it just leaned into that theme more because they didn't really delve into some of the side characters as much. I wish the movie spent more time with them. I wish they just cut the romance entirely. Uh, And just honestly, just have these people become like buddies and friends, almost like a Goonies style adventure where it just ends with, everyone being best friends and I, that's what i would and i loved. think the movie does a little bit better because the 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 people against ioi team up like the kids team up a lot earlier in the movie than they do in the yeah. book and so i think there's a small element of that where they're relying on each other everyone kind of has their own cool moment outside of wade which helps um but you're right because i do think you know, we do live in an age where everybody is connecting online. And sometimes because of something you love, you have strong connections with the people that you've never met in real life. And it's not to say that those, like those relationships aren't valuable. They may not translate as well to being like in real life with somebody, but that doesn't mean there's no value to it either. Like our means of connections are changing and the way we perceive them should change too, right? Yeah, and I think that it lacks it lacks this diversity yeah. that gaming culture has. Yeah. Big time. Uh, it doesn't really 
matter who you are, you you can love and all enjoy the same thing. Oh no, I hit on a button. Well, okay, okay. okay so I guess okay before because I have I have like two small changes that I would make, which is surprising. There's only two. Uh, Okay. Because there's there's only so much you can do, right? <laughs> but there are two small things I think would change to make it more interesting. Before we go into that, I <laughs> want to ask you, what is the part of this story that made you cringe the most? Because I think this is a very cringy story, both in book and I mean, there's a ton. There's honestly a ton. I think for me, honestly, I just hated the ending so mm. much. It's like this- Movie ending or book it ending? It was just like- Movie ending. Where they I think turn both. off the internet for two days of the week. Yeah, and then there's this like terrible scene of him like making out <laughs> with Artemis in a chair. And in the book, the last scene is like him talking to her and seeing her for the first time ever and talking about how beautiful yeah. she is. It's it does. Uh, I that everything about the romance, I just hated I so much. So I would, I, I would say that's the cringiest. I moment. think if in real life. Whoever runs the internet turned it off on Tuesdays and Thursdays. (laughs) There would be a riot. Like there would like people would lose it. People, Wade. People go to school and work Monday through Friday. You're cutting them off from their education and their means of employment. Three, two out of the five days during the week. Oh, that made me so angry. That made me so. <laughs> That's really funny because for me, when I saw, because that wasn't in the book, no, it was, that was, it was just added on, to the yeah. movie. And for me, I was like, "That's such." Because again, this feels like an '80s adventure. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. That seems like a dumb it, '80s it, adventure it, it, thing it, to add. But like, yeah, it does. It makes it zero, makes, sense, yeah. zero sense. Um, my biggest cringe was how they treated the Japanese characters in this story. Oh no, <laughs> you're right. In the in the movie, it's. it's Somehow uh, worse. they don't really treat them dif- differently. In yeah, the movie. which is rough. It's somehow worse than the way they treat women and people of color. <laughs> oh yes, like in the book, it's like this guy has never met. Like yeah. his entire reference for someone from Japan is watching an anime, and that's yes. It. To give people reference, these characters are in the book. They're just friends who met each other, and then they call themselves brothers. Mm-hmm. And whenever they talk to someone and call them by name, they say son Mm -hmm. at the end. And it bothered me so much because it felt very just cliche. It was hard because it turns out they weren't even both from Japan. One is from Japan and one is from like Ohio. And I I didn't understand that. I don't understand that. There's uh, the lines that the Japanese characters have in the book. Half of them are about how Wade has so much honor. And I was like, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) There's also uh, the small change that they made that kind of bummed me out from – because there's this part in the book. The relationship between the two brothers who are not brothers was probably the most interesting part of the book. I honestly would love to get some perspective on their relationship. Yes, they were great. And in the book, I want to say Dido dies, correct? They kill him? No. Is it Shoto? The other. I think you're right. I think Dido dies. He's the older one. Um, Yeah. Iowai murders him, and it's part of what brings Iowai down. It's brutal, brutal. too. They yeah. pull him out of his chair and throw him out a window. Um, and show 
Um, it's cool because in the book too, they're like named after samurai swords and I wish they would have kept that. Mm -hmm. That was pretty cool. Um, show in the book basically avenges his death by using like the same method to like beat him, beat up Godzilla in the end. And they cut that out, which I totally get why kind of, um, but it gave it such, I'm glad they didn't kill Dido. So that was nice. Um, but it gave it such like an emotional punch to that battle. I think it's because he, I think one thing the movie tried to do was have a little bit more diversity. So they had like a kid play Dido. In I guess. Um, I didn't mind that. I thought it was, which was fine. Again, you know, it's, it's like, something I do <laughs> wish they all had. All their jokes were like, ha ha ha, he's 11. I'm like, it's the internet. Everyone's 11. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to any gaming. Every kid can destroy me now. Yes. So here are my, if I was the script doctor of this. Dr. Amanda, script professional. I would have made, the first change I would make is I would have made Halliday not dead. Um, I think that there are some things, I think there are some themes in the book that could have been played out about nostalgia and its relation to regret. I think it was really big. Mis- this book is chock full of missed opportunity themes. It's, it's the premise of like a virtual reality Willy Wonka game is, is very good. And I think that's why it was bought yeah. up so quickly. I just wish it had played with the themes just a little bit more. So I think if Halday was not actually dead, if he was just a hermit hiding out and he had given up on interacting with people in real life, he was done with it. He was sick with it. And he created this, you know, this contest and then he put himself outside of it as a contestant um, and locked himself out of controlling everything. And then he just was trying to like interact. Like if he, it turned out that he was one of the people that Wade had befriended or something like that. I think it could have been really interesting and it could have been a lot about, um, you know, learning how to connect with people, learning, you know, what is real for like, what is a really worthy pursuit as opposed to what's just gatekeeping. Um, I think it could have been really interesting. So you want Halliday to basically be the protagonist. Secretly. Um, I wanted him. Yeah. I mean, the story is so much about him already and he's never given a chance to grow or change or be criticized or do anything because he's God. Right. I think in the movie, they do a little bit of a better job and I think they do a better job at displaying, uh, what type of person he was because they have actual scenes yeah. with him. However, well, I, I, think, I, I don't know about that. I think it'd be kind of a cliche reveal to be like, oh, I was alive the whole Maybe. time. But I think if they did it well enough, they could avoid being cliche because I think what how they should have been is a warning to Wade about what he could become if he doesn't become a different person. And to have Halliday stuck in this virtual world and essentially give up his entire identity for it, I think would be very interesting. So that was one of my ideas. It's okay. If you don't buy it. Can I can I give a counterpoint that would play onto the yeah, same themes? I think that Wade should have chosen not to win. Well, obviously, yeah. I think he should have. Well, well, one he shouldn't have won. He I think it was like won. one. Yeah. But I think he should have. I th- I think it would have been very interesting if he got to the end, saw the power that it was, and said, 
the no. yeah, and then it's locked out based on the yeah. experiences of obsession. And the ownership that he of had. the Oasis is locked out forever from anybody. Totally, I totally agree with that. That would have been excellent because literally in the movie, the scene before the way he gets into the gate is by saying it's not about how it's not about winning the game. It's about exploring and enjoying and blah blah blah. And he finds the Easter egg in the game that's referenced at the beginning, and then he gets on to the next level. And the only reason why he passes the like the contract test is because he find he knows that it's a test. So yes, I totally agree that it would have been a much better story if he was just like, nah, I'm good and lock everybody out of being able to basically win. Yeah. A little irresponsible, but a much better story. Irresponsible. And maybe, you know, there's something where he gives it to Simon Pegg or maybe. something like that. But like I think he definitely shouldn't have won because it just rewarded all these terrible totally. things about his character, but also because I think it would have played into the larger theme that I think Klein was trying to yeah. say. I think that was his main yeah. theme, and he just didn't know how to get there. The, the other change I would have made, and this is a little bit more of a nitpick. Man, we we're, <laughs> we have like 30. How about let's move to nitpicks wait, wait, wait. since you okay, said this okay, was a nitpick. This can segue into nitpicks. The other change I would have made is to make Sorrento, who was Ben Mendelssohn's character, in love with Halliday. I think it would have made more sense narratively. Um, there's this whole thing with his character where his character is so odd to me in this story. He is not... He is an, like an 80s villain, basically, like an 80s adventure villain, because he was an intern for Halliday. He wanted to help Halliday basically commoditize, commoditize the Oasis and have different like membership levels. And they're like, you suck. You're a noob. And then he spends the entire rest of the movie proving he's not a noob, but he is. And like, that's it. That's like the only thing out of his character. And it, there's this hilarious part where he's like, screw you guys. I'm going to get a real gun and just shoot these kids. <laughs> and he goes up to their truck and opens up the back of their truck with his gun and he sees Wade, um, and Wade is in his virtual getup, but he can tell that he's holding Halliday's Easter egg. And he is overcome with so much emotion that he can't kill this kid who has just stolen everything from him. And it's the most unrealistic moment of the entire – like, if he is a soulless corporate hack, he should have shot Wade. If he wasn't, he should have been a more sympathetic character. And the way I think you do that is to make him in love with Halliday. I'd agree with that. But I will say that it might take away some of my favorite scenes that Ben Mendelsohn just completely okay, nails. Yeah, totally like the evilness of him. <laughs> like there's there's the part where they're doing the flashback mm -hmm. and he goes to Halliday with his coffee and he's like, I have an idea of how to monetize. We could do this. And we could do this, and then we could do that, and it's all horrible. It's like the worst thing it's in the world. Like every company does. <laughs> he's just like I think it's because the movie did such a great job of embodying all these like terrible economic or uh, ways that like game companies make money. Like there's, I wrote down like one funny part of the movie was there was this scene where the terrible boyfriend of Wade's mm -hmm. aunt spends all their money on microtransactions within the game. And I was like, not, that happens on, in real life. Money. All the money they were using to save for a house. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
And I I don't know. It seems like that that I'm like, I that kind of happens it totally already. Does. And if this movie was going to be a commentary on that, it should have been a commentary on that. But it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it makes for like the perfect cartoony villain, though. I, that's I think that's okay, why I still I think the only it. reason why he's a cartoony villain is because of my two nitpicks coming up. These are my legit nitpicks. Oh, my gosh. There's so many. How about this? Uh, let me okay, tell mine so and then you can get to yours. OK, because mine is very. Wait, mine no, is, I want to tell you is, mine. Is the definition <laughs> no, of a nitpick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because it relates okay, directly to Ben Mendelsohn and the point. Of- OK, OK, go ahead. Go ahead. Go um, ahead. Why on earth? If this is a virtual game that you're playing for fun, would you make a suit where you could get kicked in the crotch? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, like, that was like my nitpick too. a point where you're incapacitated. Like he tries to stand up after getting kicked in the crotch and he falls down. It's a great acting moment by Mendelssohn. He nails it. Why would you make that possible? I know like for sex reasons, you want your crotch like to be stimulated. Why would you let yourself get kicked in the crotch? (laughs) My like, this was my nitpick was this absolutely the suits because in real life, there would be zero tactical advantage to having this suit. One, instead of using a controller where you don't get tired. You're running yourself. Sure, it's immersive, but it doesn't make you better at the game. Same as like anything. Like there were so many moments um, where he's like describing a scene and he gets hit or punched. It's like I wouldn't want to feel. I've never played a video game and thought I want to be shot. Just I don't even like the video games (laughs) where it has uh, your controller vibrates when things happen. I always turn that off. I don't even like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it was so funny for me to like imagine this, especially in the book because he's like a hairless yes. boy. I'm just like that is the most the hairless disgusting yes. thing I could. Yes, it's so, so nasty. I agree with you. This suit would be yeah. useless. I love the the plot point in it, but it was it's absolutely um, useless. yeah because the plot point is to show that he's a noob who gets kicked in the nuts. <laughs> um. I love that. So that part. And then um, why there's this part in the movie. It's not in the book. And I understand kind of why they did. But I feel like they could have done it any other way. It's a joke on Ben Mendelsohn's character because he writes on a post-it note on his Oasis thing, his password. And his password is Bossman69. Why do we need passwords in this virtual reality where you literally scan your face to get into places? Why do you also need to type in a password? And why would you need to write it down if it's Bossman69? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's just supposed to show him like being a noob, which I totally get. But he's also uh, an old noob. But also, <laughs> he's also an old, old noob. And I think for me, a part of me gets it. Uh, because no. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna put my girlfriend's mom on blast <laughs> real quick. Uh, there, my girlfriend's mom has this filing mm-hmm. cabinet, like this huge filing cabinet. And one day, I was trying to help her install an Amazon uh, Echo mm-hmm. in her home, and I needed her Amazon password to get it set up for her. She said, "Okay, come with me." She brings me to her back office, opens up this filing cabinet, and inside the filing cabinet, there's different tabs for different That's websites. Adorable. And she breaks out a spreadsheet for her password 
it's okay. from Amazon. And I was like, well, I, I get it. <laughs> She's also a retired mom. She is not the head of a technology company that is trying to take over more technology. Yeah, if, I still think it. Hold on. I don't know. A if, part of me thinks that plot point's so funny, and I, I wanted. There to was be a there. part in the movie where they break into IOI and open up Ben Mendelsohn's filing cabinet, and he has a file for each website. He has a password in, and they open the file, and there's just the password written. It that would have been funny. <laughs> I would have been on board for that joke. <laughs> what other nitpicks do you have? I mean, honestly, it was just, it was just that just the terrible sweaty suit. suit. I just like cannot, <laughs> I just can't imagine anyone coming out of that suit at the end of the day and being cool with it. Yeah. Yeah. So David, would you recommend this book? No, not really. <laughs> I think, I think if you are someone who also uh, just like yeah. loves the 80s to a crazy degree to like to like an nth degree because it's very clear that Klein wrote this book as a celebration of a culture that he was obsessed with Uh, because there are little things that he that you could tell he really loves I think that's the only reason you should really read this book because I don't like most of it (laughs) So I would I would recommend it to someone who loves the 80s and doesn't mind hearing a list of references. But for the most part, I think you can skip on this story. Yeah, I think if it came with like a homework list of watch these movies or play this game before you read this book, maybe it would be more enjoyable. But I don't yeah, know. By the way, Joust sucks. I tried Joust. <laughs> game sucks i bet there's tons of joust fans and i totally get it you can love the game i suck at those games (laughs) and i'm like i played it i'm like this this kind of sucks but anyway yeah (laughs) so amanda Mm -hmm. is the movie worth watching i don't know so i think like the graphics are pretty fun the chase scene is really great or the race scene is super great um, the shining scene was very is spectacular. It like if I was a shining fan, it would have taken my breath away. And it was still impressive, and I didn't really know anything about the shining. Um I don't know. There's a lot of like good things in there that if you are a fan of them will make you feel a little warm and fuzzy. Uh it's a little bit disappointing that they don't do anything with them, though. So it's kind of like yeah. a it's like a bittersweet experience because like, like the so the bad guys of this story are a corporate. It's a corporation that takes everything you love and smash it down into its discernible parts so that you can still recognize it, and then crowd your field of vision with as much stimulation as possible that they can get away with before giving you seizures. Um, and it just seems like if like those are the bad guys of your story. And if that's really what, like, you're claiming to be true, then we should have gotten a different story than this was. Because it feels a little too ironic that that's kind of what ended up happening while experiencing this story. You know what I mean? 
You're just like shoved, yeah. like so many things are shoved into your face over and over and over again just so that people can go like, huh, look at that. And some company can make a bunch of money. So it doesn't like it ends up feeling like uh, at the end. Yeah, it 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 feels a bit icky, a little bit ironic. Yeah. I would still say if you're a Spielberg fan, maybe check it out. I, I would say that this is one of those like AMC afternoon movies. Yeah, I think if you have a group of friends and you're maybe paying attention sometimes, maybe not. I would say that it's it's a fun watch. And maybe sit around afterwards and nitpick it with a bunch of your friends, too. That's not that bad. That's not that bad. Yeah. If you think if you want to take it seriously. Just <laughs> watch something else. <laughs> yeah. You'll end up going in circles like we have. I love how the yeah. what would you change about the story section that we usually talk about is by far our longest section for this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it really comes down to the fact that like. I really relate to this type of culture. Yeah. Ever because nerd po- culture is now pop culture. Yeah. And I think it just comes to the fact that like I relate to a lot of these things. And mm-hmm. I think this tells a story of a uh, connection that I think a lot of people could have related to. Yeah. And it's just one of those things where it dropped the ball. And I'm kind of sad to see that because it could have been like a really great criticism but also celebration yeah. of nerd culture. Yeah, because it's super relevant to what's happening right now in our pop culture. Um, but it doesn't quite care about it enough. And we have a lot to say about it because we care a lot about it. Mm-hmm. No? Agreed. Well, if you care a lot about it, <laughs> transition <laughs> about time. nerd stuff. If you have thoughts about this movie, strong thoughts like we do, mm-hmm. you should let us know. I guess uh, have we established on a place for them to let us know about it? I said Twitter? that because that's what um, podcasts maybe say. Instagram. Yeah, maybe I think Instagram Tumblr? would probably be the best one. I think we'll probably have an email address you can email us stuff to. Ooh, did you make an email address? I have a domain. Mm. Mm, guys, I think an email address is coming. I think an email address is coming. We haven't quite launched this thing because we're trying to like take advice from other people on how to be good at podcasts. So this may be a segment that we completely edit and change at the very end of it. And the first five episodes is just this weird tacked on thing that we add. <laughs> eh, I'll probably still include this part. Okay, good. This is the charming first episodes, right? Where we have no idea yeah. what we're doing or saying. No idea. But if you have anything you'd like to say or feedback based on what you said, hit us up on one of those things that we may or may not make. Yeah. If you have a book to movie adaptation that you want us to talk about that you are nerdily obsessed with, uh, let us know and maybe we'll do it. Please send in any horror or creepy stuff so I can make Amanda watch a creepy thing. Please be kind to me and not do that. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe instead just do funny things. To make my life brighter. We're going to get every single Stephen <laughs> King novel. <laughs> <laughs> if I know anything about the internet, that's probably true. <laughs> you should have never said that. You should have embraced it. I love Stephen uh, King. But follow us on any socials that we may have. If Links really will probably cool. be below of whatever you're looking at. I would think so. We're pretty smart about yeah, that. I think so. If you're really cool, you'd even possibly rate us Ooh. on. We don't have. I don't have an iPhone, but I'm guessing. I think the iTunes. only thing you do it is iTunes. No, I think, podcasts. Yeah, yeah, iTunes and Stitcher. I want to say is for Android. 
I don't know if you read. I don't know. Read us on stuff. Or just like tell someone you know. Yeah, that would be really great if you could tell people to listen to us. That'd be cool. That would validate us a little bit. Ooh, ooh, I like validation. (laughs) I like that. Um, what are we doing next? Oh wait, it's my pick. It's my pick next. Yeah, it's your pick. What are we doing next? I get to pick next. (laughs) Um, we are doing Jurassic Park, one of my all-time favorites. Ugh, I'm so glad I get to watch that yeah. movie. <laughs> excellent movie, excellent book my, by Michael Crichton. Yeah, uh, Jurassic Park. The book starts with baby eating. <laughs> okay, that gives me a good preview of what to expect then. Uh, but if you're interested, you should definitely read and watch along with us before we post it. Although it might be already posted. If that case, maybe do it beforehand. If anything, just watch the wonderful movie. Yeah. Who doesn't or listen to our stuff and then also watch it because watch and read because it's a good one. Yeah. I'm already you know, telling you, got you right now it's good. <laughs> tune, in, <laughs> tune, in, <laughs> tune in next time for our unbiased opinion of the fucking movie. <laughs> this. All right. I'm ending it. The podcast is over. This We gotta figure out an outro, guys. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye.